Hello, dear listener, it's Daniel. Now, before we get to this episode, just want to remind you, me and Core just launched a Patreon. For $7 a month, you can get exclusive content. Now, how do you sign up for said exclusive content? Well, we made it easy. There's a link down in the show notes or go to patreon.com slash litdpod. We'll see you soon. Now, let's get to today's episode. to catch up with me one night. I was in a parking lot with some people doing drugs and I overdosed. And one of the people in the car with me was a nurse. So she doc, you know, documented it as best she could, but she told me flat out, you were dead for about four and a half minutes. They'd already called an ambulance for me. But uh, I got to go to help. People called them prowlers. It, it happened to pretty much everybody in the neighborhood. Nobody wanted to talk about the fact of how big them prowlers were and that they happened to be furry a lot of the time. But, uh, you know, you'd go down to the store and they'd say, would y'all have any prowlers last night? Yep, we did too. They was on the move again last night. You know, that was all that was said. But they, the place where I grew up was lousy with them. And it was the Bigfoot creatures. And I mean, just they, they was everywhere. All there was was on that side of the house, there was a bathroom window there that the light was on. And you could see like a little square projected down onto the ground where that light was shining. And that thing came right up to the edge of that. And I could see its eyes glowing. They were an amber color. And I started hearing this horrible popping, snapping sound. And that's when it stood up on two legs. I remember thinking, that's a effing werewolf. Welcome, truth seekers, light bearers, and the lost to the Light in the Darkness podcast. We hope this show can shed some light on whatever leg of the journey you're on. We are your hosts. I'm Corey. And I'm Daniel. Welcome back, everybody. And uh, hope you had a great Christmas. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about ours. Corey, why don't you uh, go ahead and talk about how was your Christmas, your holiday season? Oh, my Christmas was great. You know, we released our little Merry Christmas greeting on Christmas Eve. That was a pleasant little thing to watch the downloads tick up, knowing that we were blessing people in their Christmas season. We uh, celebrated Christmas with my in-laws. It was a uh, ridiculous, and I do mean ridiculous, but fun, six hours, that's hours of opening gifts sitting around the room. But it was absolutely fantastic in the best way. How much worse? Different. Uh, different. Amazing. Amazing. But different. Uh, we we did something different this year. We had a baby. <laughs> burr, 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 burr. <laughs> yeah. Come on, daddy boy. <laughs> Mic drop, but I won't because they're expensive. <laughs> but yeah. So, December 25th at 7.56 p.m., uh, Logan Scott Steele came into the world. Eight pounds, 11 ounces. He's healthy. He's happy. Mama's healthy and happy. And I just couldn't ask for a better present. I, I, gosh, I could, I could do this all day. And if you let me and I start, I'll just say this. I am a changed man. I do believe God designed me to be a father. And whew, is it good 
good stuff. Now, speaking of good stuff, um, gosh, I love my son. Speaking of good stuff, we are going to have a fantastic episode for you today. Today's episode features Byron. Now, Byron came to us by way of Mr. Dark Waters. So if you enjoy DW, let me just go ahead and tell you, you're really going to dig Byron and you're really going to pick up what he's laying down. Now, Core, could you tell us a little bit more about Byron and maybe uh, a little bit more about this very interesting content? Oh, yeah. Byron uh, came to us by way of DW. He sent us the contact like the day after we recorded with DW. He sent us this guy's information. And this is a friend of his. Really solid guy. You guys are going to pick up on that pretty easily. Uh, He had two near-death experiences, one in which he went to hell and another one in which he met the father. On top of that, he's our first certified Bigfoot story. That's pretty exciting because when we first started this ah, podcast, sorry, <laughs> that's pretty much what we imagined this podcast being, talking a lot about Bigfoot and things like that. But this is our first over a year in story about a certified Bigfoot witness and as well as a werewolf or dog man encounter. Now, if that sounds weird to you that people would be seeing that in real life and not just on the movie screen, just walk into it with a little bit of an open mind. The important thing, guys, to remember is this. If we're going to talk about something, we're going to tie it back into the kingdom. Or rather, our guest will. We don't just talk to talk. Because that is what the after credit scenes are for that some of you choose to enjoy so much. (laughs) So, we are going to conclude this. Daniel is teary-eyed from thinking about his beautiful little boy. We are ready to dig into this interview and quit our yapping. (laughs) Without further ado, let's get to it. So, Mr. Byron, I hear you have got one heck of a testimony, and if you're willing to tell it, we are willing to hear it. So, if you would, take us back to the very beginning and tell us about this testimony. Sure. I was raised in the church, and uh, my grandfather was a minister, and my uncle was a minister. And like a lot of people raised in the church that have ministers in the family, of course, when I got to be a teenager, I started rebelling. You know, when I was a kid, I got my hip broke, and I was going to have to be in a, in a body cast for almost a year. And I'd been in it for probably three or four months. And my mother had had enough of it, and she put her hand on my leg, and she prayed. And the Lord healed my leg. I mean, I, I had an x-ray that day. They said my the bone in my leg, my femur, had not even started to knit. And they were talking about having to pull that cast off of me. And uh, she just didn't receive it. She rebuked that in the name of Jesus. And when we got home, she prayed over my leg and I felt my leg heat up. And I went back five days later and my femur was completely knitted solid. We didn't even bring clothes with me. They cut that cast off of me and had to wrap me in a towel to send me home. <laughs> That's <Wow>. awesome. <laughs> that was quite embarrassing, but I was glad to have the cast off. Little did I know I was going to have to learn to walk again and go through physical therapy. That was a, a big shocker. But uh, as I got older, I started hanging around with people that I shouldn't have been doing things that I shouldn't. 
And I fell to a point where I was just in complete rebellion against the Lord. Having seen miracles with my own eyes, I convinced myself out of being a petulant child that if God couldn't answer me the way I wanted him to answer me, when I wanted to answer him, that I just I wasn't going to believe in him and I wasn't having nothing to do with him. I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that uh, I had an inner ear problem that wound up being a tumor that had to be removed. But they they told me at the time that there was nothing they could do for me and that I was going to die, basically. And uh, I just turned away from the Lord and started being a worldly, wicked person. And uh, the Lord let it catch up with me one night. I was in a parking lot with some people doing drugs. And I overdosed. And one of the people in the car with me was a nurse. So she doc, you know, documented it as best she could. But she told me flat out, you were dead for about four and a half minutes. They'd already called an ambulance for me. But uh, I got to go to hell. And the Lord let me see what it was like. I went into this room it was like being in a cave or something and it's like there was a fire burning in the background and there was this clown kind of figure there this eyes looked weird and they were spinning and it spoke to me with the voice of my great grandmother and the last words that i spoke with her she made me promise her that i'd be a good boy and i promised her that i would and it was speaking to me that voice saying you promised me you'd be a good boy and laughing at me and asked me, didn't I want some more drugs? And the worst part of hell, I, I, I know most people aren't going to know this or understand it or maybe not even believe it, but it wasn't the demons and everything. It was being cut off from God. We all have this inner dialogue going all the time, and you think you're talking to yourself, but you're not. You're talking to the Creator. You can feel him answer you. You think you're talking to yourself, but you're not. And when that gets cut off, you feel the loss. It's an aching, empty hole. And you remember, once you're out of this flesh body, you remember everything that you've done wrong. All the lies that we tell ourselves get stripped away. And you can see it for what it really is. Every time that the Lord reached out to you and you slapped his hand away, every time he offered you redemption and you spit it back in his face, every time that a person talked about God and I laughed in their face and told them there ain't no God, I remembered every one of them. And while I was sitting there and that thing was mocking me, the shadows started coming out and started grabbing a hold of me. And they had claws and they were trying to drag me down into this pit. And I stopped for a second and I just stood there and I said, God, I know I'm cut off from you now. I can feel that and you probably can't even hear me. But that's okay. I'm not asking you to forgive me because I don't deserve to be forgiven. I'm where I belong. I deserve this. I earned it. 
But if you can hear this, I do want you to know I'm sorry. And when I said I'm sorry, he snatched me out of there. And I woke up in that car. And I jumped out of the car and ran for over a half a mile before they could get a hold of me and calm me down. And uh, needless to say, it made a change in my life immediately. And my dad was in, in pretty bad shape at the time. He was, he was terminally ill. And uh, he wound up passing away about a year later. And less, right about a week after he passed away, that tumor that was a mayor got infected really bad. And I went to the doctor. And they did some tests on me and everything. And I left and took my aunt and uncle back to North Alabama. They'd come down for my dad's funeral and stayed for about a week. And they were ready to go home. So I took them up there. And I didn't get back home until about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. And back then, this was in like 1990, 91, somewhere in there. You know, we didn't really have cell phones unless you were rich. And uh, what I didn't know was the doctor's office had called my mother. Immediately after I left the office, taking them to Birmingham, telling her to get me to the hospital immediately, that the infection in my head was very bad, and that if, if I wasn't got to the hospital soon, that, that I would die. And I didn't make it in until about 2.30 at night, and I just went straight to my room and went to bed. And my head was pounding so bad, it, it hurt so bad, I just I couldn't hardly stand it. And I was laying there, and all of a sudden, the pain stopped. And I opened my eyes, and I wasn't in my room. I was about a mile down the road on this dirt road. And there was a man sitting there. And I instantly knew who it was, though I'd never met the man. It was a friend of my dad's that he'd worked with. I said, you're Charlie, ain't you? And he just smiled, and he said, yes. And... uh he just looked at me and he said, don't you think it's time for you to let this go? And I, I really didn't know what he was talking about it. And, but I just started sobbing. And I said, I can't let it go. And I sat down beside him. And when I did, this bright light came on behind me. It was nighttime. And there's a sod field down there. You know, they harvest and plant sod on baseball fields and football fields and stuff like that. And there was a bright light shining up out of the middle of that side field going up into the sky. And I got up and I started walking over there to take a look at it. And when I got there, I realized it was a, a throne with a being of light sitting on it. Then when I got close to it, it was, uh, I just got knocked on my face. It was almost like the old Wiley Coyote cartoons where it gets knocked flat by the rock. Yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> I just hit the ground and I couldn't move. And the closest thing I can describe to what I felt was, you know, in the old days, back before the computers, you had card catalogs in the library where you go open that drawer and you could go through the cards. Mm -hmm. Well, it was like my everything that happened in my life was those cards and I could feel him looking at it. He could see everything. And I mean, everything. And I just started, I said, oh, no, I'm going to go to hell again. And when I said that, he started laughing. 
and he reached out and helped me up. He said, don't worry, son. It always out in the balance. And he asked me if I was ready to go. And I said, yeah, I'm ready to go. And we started going up through this like a tornado made a light. And after we got a couple hundred feet up in the air, I could hear my dad talking to God. And he was begging God not to take me. He said, God, I have not been dead a good week. And if you take him now, it will break Brenda's faith. That was my mother. And she was she was a wreck when my dad died. For a solid week, all she had done was sit in her room and cry and read the Bible. She couldn't even talk because she had lost her dad and her husband within like two months. Hmm. And she was just, she was on the edge. And I started feeling awful. And the more he talked, the more I, I knew that he was right. And when I started saying he's right, we stopped going up. And God looked around at me. He said, are you sure you want to do this? Because you can go home now. If you stay, you're going to have to face things that you really don't want to face and started showing me some of the things. And thank God he took it away within a day or two. I really don't remember what he showed me. I just remember some of it was really bad. And he said, I'll let you stay with her. But if you do, this is what's going to happen. And I told him, I said, I can't leave her. She wouldn't leave me. And once again, I woke up in my own body. And I'm here to tell you, when you wake up like that, it's a horrible thing. I had infection in my head so bad, it was ridiculous. And it felt like somebody threw a five-gallon bucket full of lit gasoline on me. And I sat straight up in the bed, and I realized my heart wasn't beating, and I wasn't breathing. And right about the time I realized that, I also realized there was a bunch of demons at the window trying to get in. And when I noticed that, I turned around and rolled off the bed. And as soon as I did, my heart started beating again and I took a breath. And I got out of that room quick and I went and woke up my mother and my grandmother and they prayed with me. And I told them what happened. And my mom and grandmother both said, yeah, I can believe it. Uh, I don't know how long I've been dead, to be honest with you. I know my body temperature was almost like 92 degrees. And for about a week, it looked like I had purple bruises across the backs of my arms and legs and on my back. The blood had already started to settle in my body. And I can tell you right now, if you, you have a choice, if, you, if you're going to have a near what they call a near-death experience, the one where you meet God is way more frightening than the one where you see hell. Mm -hmm. Because of his majesty. It's just, there's no words to describe it. I'm still processing. Yeah. <laughs> it's one thing you, you know, you started the story off saying I, I went to hell and back. And then to also go to heaven and back. I, just wow. Within a year. Wow. 
So I oftentimes say it, it took more than one near-death experience to straighten me out. God, God had to give me two of them. <laughs> At what point did you actually give your life to him? Oh, believe me, I'd, I had already started professing the Lord again and, and praying and, and going to church. But I, you know, I hadn't cleaned a lot of things up yet. That caused me to do a radical shift in, in, in my life and, and clean up even more. And start putting things in a, in different priorities than they were. I can definitely relate, Byron. Um, when I really got right with Christ, it's because I saw a, well, I just got a demon. And it was after me because I wasn't living right. Uh, I'm I'm glad that the Lord didn't think I needed to go to hell and come back to get right. I surely am. <laughs> the, the demon was enough for me. I hear that. But They're, they usually are. But uh, I I didn't mean to cut off the story, though. Please, by all means, continue with the testimony. No, that's fine. You know, I think the reason that I got to see both of those things thinking on it now is because the Lord had something else planned for me. Uh, the property where I live had been in the same family since the 1600s on a Spanish land grant. And my family was the first family outside of the family that that land was granted to, to buy property out of that parcel, right? And the people, a lot of the people in that family, they're Cajun and they, uh, I'll just put it bluntly, they practice voodoo and hoodoo. Mm. And they didn't want an outsider on that property. And we came under attack. I mean, heavy attack. After I didn't realize, my dad was already dealing with it. He was a Christian, and and when he died, I became the kinsman redeemer. I was my mother's only child, and it, it fell to me. And I came under attack immediately. And uh, I started having sleep paralysis. I woke up from the sleep paralysis to see my bedroom door standing open that I had closed and not only closed, but closed and locked. And there was this. People call them shadow people, but I don't think that's nearly descriptive enough. The thing I saw was blacker than black. It made black look like gray. And it had red eyes and it was sitting there staring at me. And I, I kept a pistol on my nightstand and I reached for it and I realized immediately, you know, that thing, I don't think a pistol's gonna gonna do much about it. You know what I'm saying? It couldn't hurt to fire <laughs> off a few shots, but I know what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. And uh I started rebuking it in the name of Jesus. Well, it left my house. But for about a week, that thing was across the road over there, pacing back and forth growling, howling, doing all, making all kind of racket, beating on stuff, and you could see them red eyes. And finally, I had enough of it. I said, I don't have to take this. I, was, I started walking through the yard over there toward where it was at. And just as I started to step out on the road, the Lord spoke to me. This was one of the first times he spoke to me where I could hear it and understand who it was. He told me, he said, if you walk out in that road and step across on that other side, you're never coming back. And I just stopped mid-step. And I said, what, what did you say? He said, I said, if you walk all the way across that road and step over that line on the other side, you're never coming back. 
I said, oh, okay. So I just backed up into my own yard. And I said, well, <laughs> what do I do about this thing? I can't, you know, just sit here, have this thing menace in my house. He said, what you can do is go in your house and get your Bible. So I went in and got my Bible. And he said, now go back out there. And I walked back out there. And he said, now I want you to walk up and down this road. Don't go across it. Stay on the road. And walk back and forth. And he gave me some scripture. I can't even remember what it is anymore. It's been so long ago. I hadn't thought about it. But he had me pace up and down the road reading that scripture. And every time I'd get to a certain point, he'd tell me, turn around and rebuke it in the name of Jesus. And I did that for probably, it had to have been over two hours. And the last time that I was doing, making the circuit, he told me to turn around and rebuke it in the name of Jesus. And when I got about halfway, I felt something squeeze in my chest. And it told me, it said, if you say that again, I'll kill you. And the Lord told me, say it again. And I said it three more times. I told him, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. And then he told me, tell it, return to sender. And that's what I told it. And that thing went tearing off out of here. And I didn't see it again. But I will say this. The next day, <laughs> I went out to the corner store to get me a pack of cigarettes and a Coke. I still smoked cigarettes back then. And there was this old boy in the back of the store when I went in, and he looked like somebody had just beat him unmercifully. And both his eyes was black, his nose was busted, his lips swelled up. And when I stepped in the door, his face turned white as a sheet, and he dropped what was in his hands, and he left that store like his hair was on fire. The sender? Yep. And it never came to my house again. Did you know this individual? Was his family on that land before you? He was one of the locals here that was on that their family, yeah. So he was one of the practitioners that was sending stuff your way. And I imagine this isn't the last time that happened? Uh, yeah, that's the last time it happened from that group. Gotcha. Uh, they didn't seem to want no more. I can't, <laughs> I can't blame them. <laughs> Old boy got the snot beat out of him. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'd have sent nothing else either. Uh-huh. So, Mr. Byron, was your um, was your experience, your near-death experience, your first encounter with the spirit realm, or did you have any before then? No. When I was a kid, when I was in first grade, in fact, we moved into this house that my granddad built. He built every house on the street, but he built it out of a reclaimed lumber he he did demo on other houses and and took that lumber and built new houses with it i don't know if it was because of that or the land itself there was something there and in that upstairs bedroom where i was at when you would walk toward the stairs you could feel something literally run up behind you and it would try to shove you down those stairs in fact, there just about everybody in my family that ever spent a night in that room got a trip down those stairs. Jeez. Man, we had warned people, and they'd think we were joking, and it, it would happen. But uh, I was sleeping in that room, and there was something that would manifest in that closet. And it had blue glowing eyes. They weren't red or anything like you usually hear. They were actually blue and i was terrified of it 
I mean, I did not want to sleep in that room. And you know how parents are. They tell you, it's all in your imagination. There ain't no monsters, blah, blah, blah. Well, we, uh, I went and spent the night with my cousin. The one I told you, one of my uncles was a preacher. It was, it was at his house. And I told him about it. And he took it seriously. Thank God. And he told me, he said, son, I'm going to tell you something. That thing ever comes back, you just tell it. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. And you may have to do it several times, but if you keep doing it, it will leave. And he was right. But I will say this. It kept coming back until I, I quit staying in that room. There, it, has, it has to have some kind of tide of the land there or something. I couldn't get it out entirely, but I could make it leave me alone by rebuking it in the name of Jesus. And it only appeared in that closet in that room? Yep. Interesting. Huh. That was the first time that I ever had an encounter with something where I had to rebuke it in the name of Jesus. Was that a common occurrence for you at a young age, spiritual activity of that sort? Was that? Was that a, a common thing for you, for spiritual uh, encounters to happen at a young age? Or was this just something that happened that one time? That was, you know... I'll have to say it really wasn't a common thing. It only happened a couple times in my life until I was up older. Okay. okay. The, the one thing that we did have a lot of is those uh, cryptid things that, you know, that's kind of what got me into the that field was they were always around. What kind of cryptids are we talking about, Byron? And for our listeners who may not be familiar with that terminology, That's true. cryptozoology is creatures that are not identified by science, thinking Bigfoot, Loch Ness, were werewolves, Chubacabra, etc., etc. Continue, yeah. Byron. Sorry. <laughs> well, when I was growing up, I grew up in the 80s, the 70s and 80s. I I was born in 71, so by the early 80s, I was a young teenager. But back then, we had these things called mental hospitals. And you just didn't go around talking about that kind of stuff too much, or they'd put you in one. <laughs> you know, you the men with I'm the saying? butterfly and nets are going to come after you. Yeah, put on, yeah. Put on this special I mean, jacket, buddy. <laughs> Why are the sleeves in the back? <laughs> yeah. We got a nice little coat for you here. <laughs> yes, sir. But uh, they people called them prowlers. That's what the old timers, you know, when I was growing up, called them. It it happened to pretty much everybody in the neighborhood. Nobody wanted to talk about the fact of how big them prowlers were, and that they happened to be furry a lot of the time. But uh, you know, you'd go down to the store and they'd say, "Would y'all have any prowlers last night?" "Yep, we did too." They was on the move again last night. You know, that was all that was said. But they, the place where I grew up was lousy with them. And it was the Bigfoot creatures. And I mean, just they was everywhere. And, you know, it was it was kind of scary, to be honest, for a kid. But my dad would go out there with a shotgun, and shoot it a couple of times, and they'd generally leave out of there. But when I was 14 years old, I got to see something completely different. I saw one of the things people called a dog man. And uh, that thing terrified me. And I didn't tell anybody about that until about five years ago. I told my wife. 
I'd kept it to myself all that time. That thing was so terrifying, it was ridiculous. And probably the only reason I told my wife is because we went to North Alabama to visit one of my uncles up there. And uh, while we were up there, she went out to get our pajamas out of the car. We were getting ready to go to bed. And she came in and she said, there's somebody out there. Well, me and my cousin ran out there with a shotgun and a flashlight. And it was a Bigfoot. And we were less than 15 feet from it. And we walked with that thing probably about 50 yards down the road with it walking through the ditch. And I had a Glock that had a laser sight on it. And my hand was getting sweaty. And I adjusted my grip on it. And I didn't mean to, but I turned on that laser sight. And when I did, that thing just went like that and took off straight up a hill that there's no way that I could have went up. It just And it was accelerating all the way up it. But because she saw that incident and knew about it, uh, I told her about the other. Your first Bigfoot story. We're, we're a lot of firsts tonight. Uh, but would you mind just for us describing what, what, what the Bigfoot you saw that particular one looked like? Well, it was, I didn't get a good look at it. All you could see that it was huge and it was, it was dark outside and it was just moving around doing stuff that, he was running around doing things that a person could not do in the dark like that. And it was just you you and you could feel something in the air and the way people reacted to it, the adults. I mean, they were just they were always there. In fact, when I was right before we moved to that other house where the the ghost thing happened, my mom went next door to my grandmother's house one night and my little dog went with her. And she was walking back from my grandmother's house, and there were some cars parked out by the fence there where there was a bunch of brush coming right up to where they were at, and you know, kind of a some a little stand of trees and some woods. And what when she was walking by the car, one of them stood up from behind that car and started toward her, and my dog growled and jumped at it, and it grabbed it, and while it was choking my dog she thought to death she ran back in my grandmother's house and got one of my uncles and his friend to walk her home with the shotgun thankfully my dog crawled back home and it was sore for a week but it survived it but she told us about it hmm. you know and just they were just there all the time now you you also said you saw a dog man byron can you talk about when you encountered that a little bit Yes, I can. Uh, my belief is that those things are the one that I saw. I'll put it that way. Are uh, you have to have doors open? I was uh, I was I think thirteen, fourteen years old, and I was reading Stephen King's Pet Cemetery, and uh, my dad got me to go out there to my uncle's house to get him to come out there and, and pull a tooth for him. You know, it was late at night, dentist's office wasn't open and he had a toothache so bad he couldn't stand it. He said, you want to go get him to come pull this tooth. I can't take it anymore. And I walked out to his house and I knocked on the back door and nobody answered. So I walked around to the front and when I was walking up the steps, it, it sounded almost like a bulldozer was coming down the hill. Trees snapping, limbs snapping, brush going everywhere. And 
I immediately started getting anxiety. You know, I'm like, what in the world is this? And the street light was out, and all there was was on that side of the house, there was a bathroom window there that the light was on. And you could see like a little square projected down onto the ground where that light was shining. And that thing came right up to the edge of that. And I could see its eyes glowing. They were an amber color. And I started hearing this horrible popping, snapping sound. And that's when it stood up on two legs. And that thing was a nightmare. I remember thinking, that's a effing werewolf. And uh, I could feel its amusement when I thought that. It was uh, that thing was it was like it was laughing at me and it was sitting there, you know, squeezing its claws together with saliva drool coming out of its mouth. And that's when the just terror hit me. It's like it was projecting it at me. And that's when I said, Jesus, that's a werewolf. And I, the moment I said, Jesus, my feet come unfroze because I had froze. On that top step. And when I when I said that, my feet turned loose and I took off running. And when I did, it did. And it wound up jumping toward me. But I ran off the end of the porch and there was about an eight foot drop there. And I went straight down. And when I did, it went over me. And there was this gravel road over on the other side of me. And it hit in the middle of that gravel road and slid and went off this embankment and fell about 30 feet down into the brush. And I took off just as fast as I could go. I, I guarantee you, I would have probably, if there'd have been people there to time it, I'd have broke the world record for the 100-yard dash. And uh, I could feel that thing's breath on me when I opened the door and got in the house and shut it. I mean, literally, I, I, I may have imagined it, but it, I swear I could feel that thing's breath on me. And it took my dad almost an hour to get me to go back out there to my uncle's house. I told him, I said, I, I didn't tell him that what I saw because you just didn't tell people you saw a werewolf. There ain't nobody believing that. You know, I didn't think they would. And I just told him there was a big guy come running off the hill down the porch with me and I can't go back out there. And he went to the bedroom and got his pistol, this 357 Magnum, handed it to me. He said, here, if he comes back down that porch, will you shoot him? But get your uncle to come pull my tooth. And I just looked at him. I said, this thing don't hold enough bullets. <laughs> and he started laughing. He goes over to the door, opens it up, and takes a box of bullets and pours some out in his hand, hands to me and said, here, take some more. And I, I had to go out there and get him. And I was terrified, but I prayed about it before I went. And uh, I didn't see nothing. But I will say this. My aunt, the, the, the woman my uncle was married to, dabbled in witchcraft. And I've, upon studying this, as I got older, realized that according to the lore, when witches have these meetings with their covens and things like that, they call on these creatures called hellhounds to guard them. And they've also uh, been known to use them to guard their homes. And I've often wondered if that ain't what it was that I ran across. 
Well, it seems demonic, just the way you described it, and, and the fact that it caused you to be overcome with fear, and that you seemed to be able to break out of that fear-induced trance when you said the name of Jesus, whether you were saying exactly. it, whether you were saying it out of, you know, shock or, but either way, yeah. you said that name of Jesus, and something changed, and, mm -hmm. you know, that's the part that sticks out the most to me on that, and the fact yeah. that you said this thing was almost relishing in the fact that it was causing you fear, which oh, yeah. of course does not come from the Lord. And, and then hearing, you know, you tie it into witchcraft and other things. Yeah. I, I would say that's making sense. And this thing totally sounds demonic, but my next question, Byron, do you think, and I think I know the answer, but do you think this thing was a physical, like you could reach out and touch it. It could reach out and touch you. Or was it more of a spiritual demonic manifestation just trying to scare you and run you off? What do you what do you think? I'll be honest, I think it's both. Okay. I because I could see the steam coming out of this thing's nostrils. I could see the slobber coming out of its mouth and I could smell it. Mm -hmm. But it could do things another physical animal can't. Like I I could tell that thing was amused by my fear. And it projected terror at me. That terror didn't come up from inside of me. It came from the outside in. When that thing looked at me, I felt it when it turned it on. I've often had the thought that so many things in popular culture have roots somewhere, right? Like mm -hmm. there are so many games, whether they be Dungeons and Dragons or World of Warcraft or all these other games where creatures, enemies have this ability to cast fear and to terrorize people and to immobilize them with fear. And I just like to point out the fact that what you're experiencing pop culture has taken and rebranded. And if any of our listeners are participating in any of that pop culture, I would recommend yes. that you pray about it mm. and seek the Lord as to whether you really want to be participating in something that has roots and is borrowing from very real experiences that people are having with the demonic. Man, bro, I think you just hit the nail on the head with that one. That was for somebody. I've thought yeah. it every time I've heard about Dogman fear. I've thought it every time. Well, you have to think about this. When you go back in the Bible and people would encounter these angels and angels of the Lord, what was the first thing that happened to them? Fear would hit them and they would prostrate themselves on the ground as if they were dead. And then they'd tell them to fear not and they'd help them up. You, uh, you didn't describe. Bigfoot that way, though, Byron, is what stood out to me um, with those two yes. paralleled. Now, was there a feeling of fear with that also? I get that it was a giant hulking creature and you at least you and you and your cousin walked out there with a flashlight and a shotgun. So, I mean, it must have seemed somewhat menacing, but it, it didn't seem like that it projected absolute terror on you, though. Or am no, I misreading did. that? The thing that stood out to me the most about that encounter is that thing recognized that laser? I had a flashlight I was pointing at it. It didn't freak out at the flashlight. It didn't freak out at the guns. But when that laser turned on, 
and hit that thing, it went berserk. Hmm. But no, they didn't uh, project the terror at me like that. But then again, they they do have a different feel to them. I, this is my belief when it comes to that, and I've based my beliefs on things that I found in Scripture and some extra biblical texts. These things, you know, most people don't understand what a demon is. It is the disembodied spirit of the offspring of the fallen angels. Uh, when those things die, their spirits are bound to the earth. They can neither go, they can't go to a place of judgment. They have to wait here until the judgment comes here. And I think that when those things are cast out into the dry places, if you look that up, it means wilderness. And I think those things ancestors are out there with them. And I think that that's why people can't get pictures of them. And you feel all this weird stuff. You can feel you can feel when they're around. It's not the same type of thing. I honestly think that the the. That there's more than one thing going on with those dogman creatures. I don't think there's just one thing, but I think uh, one group of them for certain is a group of them that that has those demonic creatures with them and around them and possessing them. And I think that they use those abilities to threaten people and to induce fear because they enjoy it. Now, did you, did you say that it felt your amusement when you had the thought that that's an effing werewolf? Like it could almost like, do you think, is there a possibility? I don't know it was, if it could read my thoughts, but I imagine it could smell the fear on me. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was getting at. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it could read my thoughts, but I think it could project uh, emotion. And it's, it, I think it smelled my fear and it wanted to project to me that, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much going to eat you and there's nothing you can do about it. Ha ha ha. You said the Bigfoot came around multiple times and, or prowlers, um, I believe, as you said, they were referred to in a local area, but, um, and that, that it was kind of known that they were around, but the dog, man, that was your one and only encounter with it. Yes. And I'd never heard of anything like it except for in fairy tales. Yeah. But the more I think on it, the more I think all of our fairy tales and the mythology and all that stuff, it's based on something. Mm -hmm. I think that that was a real observable fact of everyday life back before the resurrection of Jesus. If you go back and look at the, at the recorded histories of the Romans, the Greeks, the Egyptians, these things lived in the center of town. And they had temples, and people came and sacrificed even people to them sometimes, and other things. Lowercase g's. Exactly. Lower, small g gods. And they lived right dead in the middle of the city until Jesus came and started getting his disciples together and, and resurrected and the, gave them the power of the Holy Spirit. And then they went across the face of the earth, kicking these things out of the cities and taking ground. And those things ain't out in the deep, dark jungle. They're right on the edge of town looking in. They want to be back in the center of town. And it tells you in the Bible that in the last days it'll be as it was in the days of Noah. And that men's hearts will be failing them for fear of the things coming upon the earth. 
And I think we're being prepared for that very thing. The return of the old gods. That's a lot, Byron. I'm still, I'm processing that too. This is some heavy stuff. Yeah, I mean, you kick God out of the courthouse, you kick him out of the schoolhouse. <sighs> and nowadays, they're even trying to kick him out of the church. Preach. Mm. I mean, what do people expect? You create a power vacuum, something's going to fill it. <sighs> yeah, that, that, is a, that is a bumper sticker waiting to happen right there. But it, I, the crazy thing to me is I've heard people talk about this stuff. And now I'm talking to you. And you saw this stuff in the flesh. And so, what what do you take away from this? So, you encountered these cryptids. And these things, for whatever reason, chose to show themselves, to manifest, to flex at you, to try and instill fear. But I know the God we serve is bigger than all of that. Yes. And Satan's going to send his minions and he's going he's gonna to try his scare tactics and all that. But... Seeing as you were the one who was there, what do you take away from this? What 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 does this? What purpose does this serve? You know, if you would have asked me this a month ago, I would have been hard pressed to answer it. But I've got an answer for you, and it's just come along recently. The Lord was preparing me because when I looked up on YouTube werewolf encounters and found uh, that uh, Vic Cundis, Dogman Encounters Radio. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the first things I did after that was started looking for Christians talking about it. And I found Dark Waters and D. Doss and uh, Brenton Song and Scott Carpenter. And I had already listened to Steve Quayle and Tom Horn and L.A. Marzulli. And you know, uh, I got pulled into it by being in the chat on uh, D. Doss's show, and he got me to co-host him with him occasionally. And then I met James from uh, Dark Waters. And we're starting up a prayer group for people in this community that's uh, content creators and for even it's going to eventually be for even the, the listeners. To call in if you've had problems or you've had encounters and you're looking for answers. To be able to talk to somebody that has a biblical outlook on it, that can take you to the scripture and explain that this is not something new. This is old. It's old as it gets. Uh, you can go back. They used to call them the fae or they called them, you know, fallen angels or demons. Well, now they call them aliens and cryptids. It's hmm. the same thing that it always was. They just changed the names. And we've been taught to look at it with this uh, veneer of scientism. It's not even really science. Science was invented by Christians to find out the nature of the reality that God created for us, how it works. I mean, you look at all the great founding fathers of science, they were Christians. Isaac Newton, Galileo, I mean, all of them. And these, this group has come in now, and they they completely try to... Just sweep the Bible aside and act like it has no relevance. When every time they've tried to disprove the Bible, all they've managed to do is prove it. And they're trying to put this veneer of science on everything, and we're supposed to just accept things for what they tell us and not ask any questions. True science confirms the creator. 
false science gives credit to the creation. You mean falsely so-called. Science falsely so-called. Mm-hmm. And I think that the Lord is getting a group of men. You know, I think it was Isaac Newton that said, in the last days there will arise a group of men that will demand a literal interpretation of the Bible and accept no less. I think that time is here. I think it's time that Christian men started getting together, praying together, having Bible studies, and discussing these things, and doing it openly, and stop leaving this field to these new age people, and just rank Satanists. To explain it to everybody, Christians are no longer taught spiritual warfare. In most churches, if you, you know, give somebody a word from the Lord or somebody starts speaking in tongues, they'll ask you to sit down or if you won't sit down to leave. I know what you mean. That's not acceptable. My God is a supernatural God. He, he floated axe heads. He raised people from the dead. He healed the blind. And if I don't believe that, I have no business calling myself a Christian. And he will still do those things today is what yes, I feel like do. a lot of Christians don't want to talk about. And I'm not harping on him. I love him. But I think sometimes where we miss it is we will amen the things that he did in the Bible and we will amen the things that were done and we forget he's doing them right now, right here. That's the same God. And probably in greater yes. numbers. Amen. These people that go on missions to these third world countries, the stuff they face and that they talk about, and nobody really wants to talk about it or have them on. I want to have them on. I want to interview some of them. I want to hear about that stuff. And I think the more Christians hear it, the more they understand that we have power and authority given to us by the Lord. He doesn't give us a spirit of fear. He gives us a spirit of power and of love and a sound mind. Amen, brother. And the quicker we get on board with that and we start getting in his word and talking together about it and having good Christian, solid Christian fellowship and good fundamentals in our worship, the better off this country will be. The reason this country's in the shape it's in right now is because we have allowed. And when I say we, I mean me, too. I voted for people that I knew were no good and I considered them to be the lesser of two evils. Well, that's not good enough. The Lord said, if we would repent and seek his face, that he would hear our cries from heaven and forgive our sin and heal our land. And that's all we have to hold on to. I don't think we can vote ourselves out of the situation we've got into. We've got to repent and we've got to start coming together as Christians and facing the evil that we've let take root in our country. You know, what comes up now when you say that, it reminds me of, you know, when you were going to cross that road and there was that entity on the other side of it? Yes. You know, you were probably huffing and puffing and getting all mad and you're like, I'm going to knock this thing out. However, I, I don't know how you were going to do that. But the funny thing is, I think too often that's how we're facing things in this day and age when really, if we listen, there's that voice that's like, boo, 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 boo. Turn around, yeah. get back in that house, and go get your Bible, because that's how we're going to fight. And I, I yes. really believe that's what you're trying to say right now. And I believe, you know, call me crazy, but it sounds like God let you go to hell, then scared the literal hell out of you, rose you up, instilled calling and purpose in you. Well, excuse me, that was always there, but reaffirmed that 
And now this group of men rising up in a time where it's unprecedented how culture is attacking men, especially men in the church, men leading their families, men standing up, being what God called them to be. And I feel like this testimony you've shared, all that, you've looked all these things in the face so that you can look at all these other men in whatever scenario they present to you and say, I get it, but God is greater and God is bigger. So every scenario, but God. Amen. I feel exactly the same way. And you know, me and James uh, from Dark Waters was talking the other day. Christians aren't taught about altars. We're, you know, the, the lowest of the pagans and witches build altars in their homes. As a Christian, we're supposed to have an altar. We're supposed to have a place in our home that's dedicated to God. It's his place. That's where we go and read his word. That's where we go and do our praying and let him minister to us. And that's where we take our grievances and our hurt. You know, he said he would give beauty for ashes, and that's exactly what he does. You can take your anger, you can take your rage, you can take your hurt, and you go to that place and you pray, and you offer it up to him, and he'll give you something of value in return for it. James described his altar to us. Would you describe yours to us and what what yours looks like? Is it a closet? Is it a? I know it, it doesn't have to look any particular kind of way. Actually, I've got an old TV armoire. It's, it looks decent in my bedroom. And when you open it up, there's there's my Bible, the old family Bible. I've got a, a good smelling candle there. And uh, I have my anointing oil and stuff for communion. And that's, you know, when things are tough, that's where I go. And it'll call me there sometimes to talk to me when I least expect it. Sometimes the Lord wants our attention. The, the, the most amazing thing I think I ever learned about God is how much he loves us. All he ever wanted was us to be his friends and his family, his children, that he could have a relationship. He wants us to tell him when we're, when we're thinking about something or we're gonna, we've got something planned. We're, he wants us to run it by him. And he'll not only give you what you need, he'll give you most of what you want if you just include him in it and, and run it by him. And if we could teach, I think, just a thousand Christian men to do that, I think it would turn this nation around city by city. If each one of those men was to teach another man or two or ten, and we keep going with this. I mean, I sought out a church where I could go and hear the word of the Lord like I did when I was a kid for years. And I finally just gave up and I started having fellowship with the Lord at home. And I'm going to continue looking and hopefully I'll find a church in my area where I can do that, where I feel welcome. But I always feel welcome with him. And this prayer group that we're getting ready to do is going to be something for everybody that wants, you know, answers, that wants uh, fellowship and to be able to pray and have other people pray and, in, 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 you know, in corporate prayer with them. And I think it's something that's sorely needed in this day. 
And uh, I honestly believe it's the Lord led us to this. I know he did. It's, it's not mine. It's not James's. It's not any one person's. It's God's. And he's going to tell us how he wants it run. Mm. And he wouldn't start it if he wasn't going to see it through. Amen. You know what you just said? It reminded me of when Daniel and I were going to start this podcast. And Daniel brought the idea to me and I said, I'll, I'll pray about it. So I went and I said, Lord, what do you think about this idea that Daniel had? And he said, it wasn't Daniel's idea, son. <laughs> and I said, I'm in. <laughs> I said, I'm in. If it's you, I'm in. And that's what I'm hearing with, with your prayer group. What's it going to be called? Uh, so far, it's Men of Steel is the name of the prayer group. Well, that uh, that sounds familiar. That's my last name, Steel. <laughs> well, how about that? <laughs> and you know what else is funny on this note? I love what Corey just said because I'm I'm noticing more and more every time <laughs> something cool happens and, uh, you know, somebody tries to give someone else credit or something amazing happens. I keep realizing that everything's God's. You know, it oh, belongs yeah. to the Lord. I was, we were talking to DW the other day, Dark Waters, and I was asking him just, just a little snippet about his sons. And he immediately said, Oh, no, those are God's sons. They're his. And it's just so refreshing and it's so true. But ultimately, it's all God's. It all belongs to him. We are allowed to steward and hopefully we do that correctly. Yeah, he just loans them to us. That's all. <laughs> That's right. Puts them in our keeping. <laughs> that is right. You know, I told you the first thing, Don't the main thing me and my wife prayed for was a good Christian spirit in our sons, right? Mm-hmm. What I didn't tell you is God let me see my son before he was born. My first son, it was uh, probably, my wife was probably about a month away from having him. And the Lord took me in a dream and had me sitting at this uh, picnic table. And I was sitting there, and there was grass and flowers growing all around. And this little boy, about three years old or four, comes running up. And he had the prettiest blue eyes I'd ever seen and curly blonde hair. And he reached down and picked one of them flowers and handed it to me. And I said, who are you, little buddy? And he just looked at me and said, Gabe. And I knew right then, because me and my wife had talked about it, if he was a boy, he was going to be Gabriel. If he was a girl, he was going to be Gabby. Or Gabriella, and we was going to call him Gabe or Gabby. And he looked at me, and he said, Gabe. And I said, well, come in and talk to me, little buddy. And we sat there, and he just talked to me and talked to me about all kind of things. And then I woke up, and my wife was doing something. I can't remember what. And I just looked at her. She said, what? I said, you're not going to believe this. I just saw our son. Actually, it wasn't. It was it, it. was early in the pregnancy. We didn't even know he was going to be a boy at the time. And I told her, I said, we were going to have a son. And I told her about his blue eyes and his pretty curly blue ha- uh, blonde hair. And by gum, he, when he grew up to about three or four years old, I was outside with him one day. And he turned around and looked at me and he was wearing the same outfit. I relate to that story more than you know, Byron. Uh, I'll just say we are definitely kindred spirits, and I've had a very similar experience, and I, I know my it's boy. It's awesome, ain't it? <laughs> it, it was <laughs> it, I, I don't really have the words. The, the generational lies and nonsense that the Lord broke off while letting me see my son 
and reaffirming the fact of I'd get one and I would be allowed to be a parent because I was just believing all kinds of lies. It It's so cool how the, the father works. He can do so much in an instant and undo yep. a lifetime of the enemy's work just with, with yeah. one action. He's so good. And it just all falls apart and you can see right through it. And you're like, wow. That's right. We're talking a lot about how good the Lord is, Byron, as a man who has gotten to see him. You know, I wanted to ask, but we kind of moved on in conversation a little bit. Uh, you know, a lot of people would probably ask you to go into greater detail about seeing hell and what the demons look like and all that kind of stuff. But when you saw in that sod field, the Lord sitting on that throne and you fell on your face what did you see? All I could see was the vague shape of the throne and in 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 a person sitting on it. It was so bright that I couldn't look at it. Even when I hit the ground with my eyes closed, the light was still so bright that it was painful. Even out of my flesh, body, and the spirit, he was he was just too bright to look at. I know you couldn't see him, Byron, but is there any way to describe what you felt? Oh yeah, when he when he took my he picked me up with his hand and started laughing, and said, "It's okay, son. It always out in the balance." I could feel his love and his amusement because I had been repenting of my sins, but I still remembered them. He doesn't. When we repent of our sins, they're gone to him. All he sees is the blood of Jesus on you once you claim that. And he laughed at me for being worried about those sins. And he said, it's okay, son. It always out in the balance. And he said, are you ready to go home? Just like my dad would have said. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. When he when I was doing something out in the yard or messing with something I wasn't supposed to be, and he'd say, you know you ain't supposed to be doing that. Now, come on. Let's go get something to eat and start laughing, you know? And it was just the love that he has for us. That was the another thing that I don't touch on as much when I tell that story is even the grass was alive. You could hear the trees moving, the grass, you could see the grass moving, and it's like all of it was breathing. And everything was so vivid and bright. That it was, even though it was nighttime, it was brighter than daytime, and I could see every color and everything perfectly. And just, but the thing that sticks out to me the most was his amusement and how much he loves us and what he is willing to sacrifice for us. Mm. That is, I see a correlation there and I see a contrast there. Because you say you experienced the Father and you felt his amusement. And you say when you experienced this demonic entity, this dog man, you felt its amusement. Oh, yeah, they were worlds apart. They were worlds apart. That other was an evil amusement, like, I've got you where I want you now. 
but when God did it, he was just he was just laughing like, well, it's okay, son. It's all it always out in the balance. Come on, you ready to go home? He, mm. he was just delighting in his creation and his son. Yeah. He was just happy you were there. And I I love that he gave you the choice. And I I gotta ask, I'm sure you've been asked a hundred times, but I'll guess I'll be one hundred and one. <laughs> you ever wish you'd went? No. No, I don't. If I would have went, I wouldn't have got to experience my sons. I wouldn't have met my wife that I've been married to for 20 years. Best thing that ever happened to me other than my sons. And then she gave me, with the help of the Lord, three wonderful sons. And I got to stay with my mom for another, what, no, almost 30 years until she passed. And I got to see him take her home. There's a continuity to it, and it's it's a wonderful thing. I didn't cry when my mom died. I was relieved. The Lord took her before she was in pain. We knew she was going to go. She was sick, but the Lord took her before she had to suffer a lot of pain, and it was a mercy, and I thanked him for it. And I also thanked him for letting me come back and stay with her. Hmm. So whatever it is I have to face, with the Lord, I can face it. Now, you said he showed you a lot of things and you forgot them in the next couple of days. You, you said that he showed you a lot of situations in life that were terrifying and that you decided to make the choice to come back regardless. Have you ever experienced like some divine deja vu or like gone through yes. an experience? Would you mind elaborating on some of those things where it's like, oh my gosh, the Lord showed me this and I chose to come back knowing that this would happen? 9-11. After it happened, I, rem I, I remember there's been a couple other things. It's just most of the stuff is mostly just in my life and people surrounding my life and things like that. But there's been a couple of big things like that, that as it was happening or after the fact, I remembered that that was part of what I was shown. Would you be comfortable sharing any of those other moments from your life? If that's too personal, we can move on. Yeah. I mean, uh, when my grandmother passed away, when my granddad passed away, both of those were things. And one of my cousins recently passed, and the way he passed was not not good. And it was just things like that that I would have to see and live through. But the Lord has been there throughout all of it. And when things like that happen, you just have to take it to him. And when you take it to him, he can give you some perspective on it. He tells us that, you know, there's nothing we're going to come across in this life that other men haven't faced. Everything that we come across is, you know, something that a good percentage of the men in this world have to face. They, you know, a lot of men in this world, their parents go before them, some of them their children. I hope and pray to God I don't lose any of my children before I go. It would be a terrible, horrible thing. But if I did, I would know they were with him. Byron, you 
you you've talked a lot on this episode about some just well, spectacular things you've seen, good and bad spectacular for that matter. And I have one more question to ask about something else you might have seen in all these encounters and, you know, with the supernatural and the paranormal. Have you ever seen an angel? Yes. Can you talk about that? Yes, I can. When my grandmother was dying, she had lung cancer. Me and my mom were in the kitchen. And we heard my, her little dog barking, my grandmother's little dog. And right as the dog started barking, something came by me and my mother so fast, it literally blew her hair back. And I took off to the bedroom. And there was an angel giving her her oxygen tube. It had fell from her nose. And she couldn't reach it. It was down on the floor. And he handed her that oxygen tube and then looked at me and he was gone. I uh, I have to ask, what did he look like? He just uh, looked like a, a, a normal man, good looking enough, I suppose. But the most incredible one that I saw. And the reason I didn't mention it first is because I'm not 100% sure what I saw there, but it was either an angel or Jesus. Me and my wife were coming out of Home Depot. And we came to like a four-way intersection there. There's a four-lane highway runs in front of the place, and we were on a two-lane highway that crosses that four-lane. And there at the intersection, we had a red, uh, we, see, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, we had a red light, and there was a woman in the turning lane in front there. On she was on the four lane, and she had a red light, but everybody else had a green light. And this drunk driver hit her in the back bumper and knocked her out into the intersection. Her car did like a complete three sixty and come to a stop. And I could see under the car, her gas tank ruptured. And was pouring gas onto the muffler of the car while the car is running. And I jumped out of the truck and started running toward that car. And I even had a cigarette in my mouth. My wife had just lit me a cigarette. And I was slipping and sliding in gas. And I thought, oh, my God, I've got a cigarette in my mouth. And I stopped and my wife was there beside me. I said, oh, Take this cigarette and get out of this gas. I didn't tell her there ain't no sense in both of us burning up. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I didn't want both of us burning up. I said, take this cigarette and you get over there and stay over there. And I went over and there was a guy opening the door, but he couldn't get the seatbelt off of her. And I said, watch out, buddy. I've got a knife. And when I did, he stepped back and I reached up and cut her seatbelt. And I turned around to get him to help me get her out. And he was gone. I guess he thought, well, he's got a knife. There ain't no sense in both of us burning up. So he burnt off out of there. <laughs> you know, he, he was gone. And I said, oh, no. Well, I got down in the steering wheel. The woman was knocked out, and the steering wheel was pushed down on her legs. And I put my hands under her, like where the bend in her knees are on that side. And I put my other hand behind her back in the seat there. 
and I was trying to pick her up and slide her, but I couldn't. I couldn't pick her up. She was just too heavy. Between that and this, the steering wheel collapsed down on her legs. I couldn't move her enough to slide her out of there. And I was just to the point where I was realizing this ain't going to work. And I fell down all the way onto my knees. I was squatted trying to do it, and I fell down on my knees, and I said, Jesus, Lord, you're going to have to help me here. I can't, I can't do this on my own. And when I said it, a man's hand landed on my shoulder and said, I'm here, brother. Let's get her out of there. And I grabbed a hold of her again and started pulling, and he helped me pull her out of there. And I, just as sure as I'm talking to you right now, I talked to that guy all the way over to the side of the road where we laid her down. And when I raised up, he was gone. And there was people standing there where I said, where did that guy go? And the guy said, what are you talking about? What guy? He said, there's only you. I said, no, the guy that helped me get out of the car. He said, man, that guy took off a while back. I said, no, the guy that helped tow me over, helped me tow her over. He said, buddy, you was by yourself. And my wife saw him, too. We were the only two people, apparently, out of about 20 bystanders that saw this man. He was wearing blue jeans and a white T-shirt, and he looked kind of like a Chris Corn young Chris Cornell after he got a hair after he got that haircut. They could have been brothers. And what was your conversation with him like while you were walking over to the road? I I was just telling him thank you for helping me, and he said anytime. And we set him set her down, and then he was gone. And the crazy thing is, we came home, and when we walked in the house, there was a thing on Discovery Channel where this young girl was in college, and the dorm caught on fire, and she kept going back into that dorm and bringing people out, even after she caught on fire, and she said there's the angel of the Lord was there with her, and she described the same man, even wearing the white t-shirt and the blue jeans. And I just looked at my wife and I said, can you believe that? Well, if you had any doubt, it sounded like the Lord was trying to get rid of that. <laughs> yeah. It was like, yeah, that I mean, was, I mean, that was my I man. Said, Lord, Jesus, Lord, I can't do this. It's, I, it's, it's, she's too heavy. I can't do this alone. As soon as the alone was finished, that hand hit my shoulder and said, I'm here, brother. Let's get her out of there. Have you ever taken him up on that offer since? Because he told you any time. Uh, I've prayed and asked for uh, assistance from Warren Angels. I hadn't asked for that one in particular, but now that you mention it, I just might. <laughs> I'm just saying the offer was there. <laughs> yeah. What was your most recent encounter story? You're telling us a lot of stories. What was the most recent thing? The most recent thing is just being in prayer with people that uh, get in touch with us through the the YouTube channel that DDoS has, the BDRP Supernatural, they email in and and just uh, some of the people that are being beset by witchcraft and just horrible things where we pray with them and, and go into spiritual warfare with them. And, you know, it's amazing how when you go into that spiritual warfare, the Lord shows you things and gives you words about these people's lives. Stuff you have no business knowing, but you know. Secrets of the heart. Yeah. Just words of knowledge. 
And it's when you're doing that, when you're praying with people like that, it, it's a world that opens up and it gets stronger and stronger. Even to the point of the Lord giving you visions about things. Uh, like uh, the other day, me and James was talking about this prayer group. And uh, the Lord let me see uh, people being baptized. And it was, uh, but what it was is it was sheep coming up and they would go in the water. And when they would come up out of the water, they were lions. Wow. And I told him, I said, we're going to be getting lions from sheep. And he said, what made you say that? And I told him, and he was, he had already started saying something about lions. And it was just the way it meshed together was perfect. Mm. I've been having a thought going through my head a lot lately. And it's about how Jesus came as a lamb, but he's coming back as a lion. Yes. Everybody's expecting the lamb to come back, but that ain't what they're going to get. You know, I, it's funny to hear you say that and think about it. What what you're saying, Byron, and what you're saying, bro, over there, it's this lion, uh, I guess, vision to a degree, because I know recently you've given someone a word about being a lion. It reminds me of the time we were sitting here with a friend of ours, Dre, and the Lord told me that <laughs> touching the hair of a lion, son, that's a mane. And it's funny. And now you've got this group of men, you know, coming together. It's almost like he's raising up all the lions and he's forming a pride. And man. Yeah. That's exactly what he showed me. He's got a bunch of sheep he's bringing together and he's going to bring some lions out of there. You might mess around with a sheep, but I'll tell you what, nobody messes around with the lion. <laughs> You're going to lose a That's hand. Right. All the animals of the jungle fear the teeth of the lion. That's right. Well, look at them. They just lay around all day playing with their cubs and everything until something runs up that they don't like, and they just jump up and eat it. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> just lay there in the sun, minding their own business till something comes messing around, and they just go over and eat it. Go back to doing what they're doing. Mm. This has got to be one of the heaviest testimonies I've heard, Byron, and it's cool. And I, I know we're not exactly done in this very second moment here, but I just want to say thank you for trusting us and 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 just sharing what the Lord has done. I mean, it, it's it's awesome to hear it play out. And I mean, you, you've seen things, you've experienced things, you've encountered things, you've, you know, taken authority over things in Jesus name, praise God. And, you know, you, you're his man now, you know, you're a man of the Lord, but it's crazy to me. I know there's people that are going to hear this and they're still playing for the other team. You know, they're on the other side with the enemy thinking, you know, no, we got this thing in the bag as somebody who has literally been to hell as someone who has returned to sender a being that was sent to get you. What would you say to these people playing on the other side or still thinking who are deceived? You know, what wisdom could you lay on them that the Lord has given you through a lifetime of testimony? Well, it's as simple as this. I asked a guy one time that was a Satan worshiper. What is it? Do you just want to go to hell? And he told me, he said, no, you got it all wrong, buddy. That's that's not how this goes. He says, we're going to win. That's comical to me. 
It is literally comical to me. When you experience the creator of the universe and you understand the power he has, but just the, the tip of the iceberg of what you get to see of it, it's laughable to you that anything could, could even think of challenging him. Even the devil himself admits that God created him and that he has the power to destroy him. In what universe is it possible for them to win? There's no way. It's laughable. It, they're, I honestly feel sorry for them. I'm going to be honest with you. I do. They're, they're deluded. The devil's told them all these lies because he don't want to go alone. And he wants to, to, to stymie God's creation. He wants to destroy it, if he can, to take it with him because he's a spoiler. And he's lied to these people and he's told them, you know, I told you to rend all these other people and to steal from them and to kill them and to do all this other stuff. But you're special. I wouldn't do that to you because I really like you. Hmm. And they bought it. They're 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 delusional and they're like children. They're simple. They don't understand the, the, the type of power we're talking about. Everything in the universe exists because he wills it. If they were to somehow come up with this magical weapon to, to kill the Lord, it would destroy everything because his will holds everything together. Mm. How, how are they going to escape that? It, it makes no sense to me. It's, it's like I said, it's comical. Yeah. And I hope they all come to their senses and don't let him drag them to the pit with them. I know they won't, but I, I hope many of them do. Amen. So you are a man of prayer. Are there any particular prayer paths or what does your time and prayer with the Lord look like? Well, generally, I always want to go to the Lord, and I ask Him to forgive me of my sins, of course, and I plead the blood of Jesus over my transgressions, but I also want to go to Him with worship and with praise, and I want Him to understand that I appreciate the things He's already done, that so many Christians, when they pray, that it's like they, they're giving Santa their wish list. You know, you, you, you pray to God when something goes bad and you know your life's on the line or somebody's sick or you want something how often do we go to the lord and just say thank you for this wonderful day lord it's beautiful thank you for this day you made and just talk to him and let him know that you appreciate the things that he's done and and ask him how his day's going practicing his presence it almost sounds like yes. you're hinting at having relationship with the lord byron that's what it's about. <laughs> Amen. That's what he wants. That's what he did all of this sacrificing for. All of it. It was so he could have a family and friends that he could talk to. He just he'll just come talk to you sometimes. Yeah. You'll be right in the middle of doing something. The Lord just start talking to you. Like, well, well, how about that? What, what's, what you got going on? <laughs> you know? And he'll just start telling you stuff. 
Corey and I were uh, having a moment of worship before we called you and just spending some time with the Father. And I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I have been marinating for some time now on the fact of just Abraham and Isaac. And just as crazy as it sounds, I was like, Lord, could I do it? If you asked me to, could I do it? Could I, you know? It's a hard question, ain't it? And uh, I was just thinking on that. And I was like, that's that's so, it's huge. And, and in my spirit, it just rose up. I, I wouldn't ask anyone to do anything that I wasn't willing to do, son. Yeah. And I mean, you can ask Corey. I just kind of looked up. I was like, bro. I may be late to the party on this one, but the Lord just dropped this on me, and it is, it's just huge. Like, that's what he did. Well, you know, I had somebody give me a perspective on that I didn't expect one time. You know, do you, do you think that God was ever going to let Abraham sacrifice his son? I don't know. I don't think so. No. He just wanted to see if he had it in his heart to do what he was asked to do, what God had asked of him. That's why there was an angle there waiting to stop him. Yeah. But think on this. Remember when he was walking his son up that hill and his son asked him, Father, where's the ram for the sacrifice? What did he tell his son? The Lord will provide. The Lord will provide the sacrifice. God had promised him that that son of his was going to be the father of many nations and that he was going to have offspring as multiple as the sand of the seashore. I'm pretty sure that either Abraham didn't think he was going to let him do it or he thought he was going to bring him back to him. I think he had that much faith that he knew God, he was coming back down that mountain with his son. Mm. Wow. Who gave you that perspective? <laughs> well, it was just uh, one of my uncles. We were talking about the Bible, and he pointed it out to me, and I was like, yeah, I think you're kind of right about that. He gave me a perspective on another thing. Not he. God did. I remember as a, as a Christian in my mid-20s, I asked the Lord one time, I said, Lord, how is it possible? With all the miracles and everything that Peter saw, that he betrayed Jesus. And the Lord answered me. And he said, what made you think that Peter betrayed Jesus? I said, well, he denied him three times, like he told him he would before the cock crowed. And he asked me, how many times did Jesus order him to do that before this happened? And I said, what? He said, yeah, go back and look. What did Jesus, uh, what did Peter call Jesus? I said, he called him master. He said, that's right, because he was his master. And he was his servant. How many times did he tell Peter, you're going to deny me? And Peter said, no, Lord, far be it from me. And he said, no, you're going to deny me. And not only are you going to deny me, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows. And the Lord gave me a little vision of Peter standing there with Jesus when they come up. When them soldiers came up, Peter wasn't afraid. He pulled out his sword and he sliced the ear off of a Roman soldier. I'm going to tell you a little something that most people, and even Christians, don't know this. Do you know what the penalty was? 
for one of those Jews to be touching even a wooden copy of a sword? If you're not a Roman citizen, to touch even a wooden copy of a sword was the death penalty. Mm. Jesus told them to buy them swords. Or if they didn't have one, to go sell their cloak and to buy one. And they knew how to use them. You know how much skill it would take to slice the ear off of a man without cutting anything else? Peter pulled that sword out, and he was cool and collected enough that he sliced that man's ear off. And he didn't run. He stood there with him to fight. And Jesus told him, you put that sword away. He that lives by the sword dies by the sword. And he reached down and put that man's ear back on and healed it. You remember right before they went up there, he told Peter, he said, I've been fasting and praying for you, Peter, because the devil wants to sift you like wheat. Hmm. And the Lord let me see Peter with that cloak pulled over and where people couldn't recognize him with that sword hid in it following him, taking Jesus all the way to his trial, and he followed him the whole way. And the whole way, he was wanting to break Jesus out of there. He wanted to run out there and fight him. And any time he would get his courage up to do it, Jesus would look up at him and just stare at him. And he'd look down, and that's when somebody said, you was with him, wasn't you? No. No, I wasn't. Gives it a whole new meaning when Jesus comes to him after the resurrection and says, do you love me, Peter? He said, you know I do. He said, then feed my sheep. Peter was a hothead. And he wanted to stand there with Jesus and fight. He wanted Jesus to, to conquer all of them and be the conquering Messiah. But that's not what he came to do. And he had to make Peter understand. I know you want to fight, Peter. But that's not the mission I've given you. The mission I've given you is to feed my sheep. He was he was on borderline disobedience, but he didn't betray Jesus. Not in the way that we're commonly taught. Mm. That's an amazing thing, ain't it? Yeah, makes me want to pass an offering plate. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> it's funny you're talking about Peter being a hothead and I have all these people flashing through my mind of just people I've done ministry with over the years. And a couple of them were hotheads, uh, including the one talking right now. But it's funny how the Lord will just temper that rage in moments or not even rage, but just cool that hothead, so to speak. Moments yeah. where we just, you know, we want to manifest and, you know, we're the ones that want to draw our sword. And it's like, hold up. Now go back in the house. And get your Bible mm-hmm. and start walking up yep. and down this road and rebuke this thing. That road, coming back. <laughs> and I tell you what, that that visual you gave of that, I mean, I say visual, it really happened, but I'll probably use that quite a few times because I relate to that. I know so many circumstances in my life where I wanted to cross that road. Yeah. And I guarantee you there's somebody that's going to listen to this and go, Ooh, I've had so many moments where I went across the road and you know what? I just tell you, dear listener, go back in your house and grab your Bible. That is how we fight. Our weapons are not carnal. That's right. That's right. Cause we're, that's, not fighting spirit, we're not fighting flesh and blood. We're fighting principalities and powers. 
Mm-hmm. The rulers of the wickedness and heavenly places. Mm. We have to use the weapons of the spirit. We got to t- put that armor on. Got to have that helmet of salvation. First plate of faith. Well, actually, the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes that shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and the sword that's the the word of God. That's our weapons. Amen. Now, Byron, have you, I know you shared that your hip was healed. Have you been witness to or experienced many other healings, miracles, moments where the Lord just showed up and made himself and his power known. Yes, I have. When I was a kid, I told you my dad was terminally ill. And what happened was he was a what they used to call a free bleeder. His blood wouldn't clot. And he would start hemorrhaging internally. And I don't know how many times they told us he wasn't going to live through the night. And my mother would go home and she would get her Bible and she would come back and she would read the scripture where it said, I passed you polluted in your own blood. Live. And every time she would read that scripture over him, he would quit hemorrhaging and he'd be out of the hospital within six hours. So I did get to see that as a, as a young man. Many times, and uh, I've I've seen other things. The Lord, uh, they told me when I was 19 years old, that tumor in my head, that uh, I had maybe six months to live, and I'm 52 years old. Mm. Every time I go back and see a specialist, they tell me I got to have a surgery, or uh, I won't be able to live alive for a year. They've been saying that for over 20 years. <laughs> I quit going to. Them just to be <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I came to a conclusion. I'm going to leave here about the time the Lord gets ready for me to leave, and I'm not leaving a second sooner, Amen. no matter what they say. Yeah, for the record, that's like 624 months. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering what you're doing with your phone over there. Well, they, they told him six months, and I was like, he's 52. Well, let's do the math. <laughs> let's see how wrong they were. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, this has been an absolute pleasure. Now, before we go, when we initially had the thought of sitting down with you and recording an episode, having a chat, were there any stories or thoughts that you wanted to share? And thus far in our conversation, we just haven't gotten there. Or is there anything popping up, bubbling up, however it works for you in your spirit that you want to share with us? Actually, I think I pretty much hit all of it. The Lord just poured it right out. I prayed and asked him to help me through this and to give me the words to speak, and it it all just kind of came out. I can't think of anything. He's great like that. Yeah, yes. (laughs) Amen. Oh man, what a what a testimony, what a just testament to how good God is. And thank you so much for sharing, Byron. This has been a pleasure to walk through just all the things God has allowed you to go through and taking you through and, and what he's doing now 
with that group, uh, the Men of Steel. Yeah, I'll say this. That's why he gave them to me, was so I could share them. And that's why I could sit on them. And to try to share them with my fellow brothers and sisters and try to, you know, bring as many people into his kingdom as I can. Amen. We're with you there. I'll tell you something. You might want to talk to uh, one of my brothers in the faith that we're getting together with with this prayer group. Sounds good. I can send you his number. Yes, please. uh, Graham. Brother Graham's his name. Well, you twisted our arm. I guess we're going to have to talk to him. We actually talked (laughs) with, uh, we talked with James not, not long before we called you. And I believe he also mentioned Brother Graham. Mm. Oh yeah. He's a, he's got a powerful testimony too. And he's, he's a good fellow. Well, to hear you say that, knowing what your testimony is, <laughs> and that you would call someone else's testimony powerful, I wait with bated breath, sir. <laughs> I think you'll enjoy it. And I've enjoyed talking to you, fellas. You, it's good to talk to some fellow brothers in the faith. Always. Iron sharpening iron conversations. We, we love those. Amen. And thank you so much for taking the time. I know we didn't really talk about doing a full interview here tonight. We were just going to call and hear a little bit of your story. And it just, you started talking and we said, oh, wait a second. (laughs) (laughs) We forgot to hit that magic button and let that that little red light turn on. (laughs) Get this on the recording. (laughs) Yes, sir. Anytime that I can help, that's what the Lord has me here for. Now, we're still recording, and uh, there was just one last thing I wanted to ask you before we go ahead and fully close on down. Would you mind just praying a blessing over our listeners? It would be my honor. Father, I come to you and I plead the blood of Jesus over all of our sins and transgressions, known or unknown. And when I say or, I mean everybody that's hearing my voice, Lord, that is willing. And I ask that you watch over them and keep them safe and build up their hedges and give them fresh anointing, Lord, and send your warring angels to watch over them and your ministering angels to, to lift them up. And I ask that you inspire them, Lord, to go out and do something for the kingdom. It doesn't have to be something great. It can be something small or it can be something great. Just whatever they're capable of doing where they're at at the moment. And I ask your blessing upon them and that you share your love and your presence with them the way you have with me. And I ask that you lead us all and guide us and give us inspiration, Lord. And show us how you would have us work for your kingdom and how to be a better part of it. And I also ask that you bless these men's podcasts because they've been a blessing to me to just sit and talk with them tonight. And uh, I ask your blessing over this man's family and the child that he has on the way and that you give him a good Christian spirit, just like you did my boys, and that that they be healthy, him or her, that they be healthy and be a blessing to that family, Lord. And I'm sure that they will teach him about you, just like I'm teaching my sons. You send them to us to learn, and you just lend them to us for a while. And I'm sure that he'll do the best that he can to see through that he's instructed in, in your word, Lord, and how to live for your kingdom. And I ask this in the name of Jesus, 
In his, in his name I pray. Amen. 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 God bless you, brother. He already has. God bless you, too. Bigfoot and hoodoo and voodoo and werewolves and demons and returning to cinder and Jesus. Come on, isn't that not the best part of his story? Meeting the Father, his amusement, his love, his light, him preparing him and showing him glimpses of what he would live through if he went back, and him choosing, for the sake of the love of his mother, to come back to be able to tell his testimony to us today. Come on, let's just give a round of applause for Mr. Byron. Wow, standing ovation. Yes, yes, indeed. Indeed. Wow. That was an absolutely fantastic interview. I have no doubt that we will be hearing more from Mr. Byron in the future. Now, speaking of people we love in the future, present, and past, we have a little tradition here at Light in the Darkness, which we like to call a shout out. Shout out! Take it away, Danny boy. I'm going to read you a list of first names here and to all these people god bless you and thank you for financially sowing into light in the darkness this year this money does not go to Corey and i he keeps the lights and the subscriptions and all the software we use going it helps us to keep the equipment up to date and on a side note and an even bigger note guys we sent 475 dollars to moses this year i mean just take a second and think on that somebody in a country we've never met we've never spoken to it was just how he let the lord use him impacted so much to all these people and us look how god's blessing him and you were a part of that thank you and what's wild is miss rosetta told us 475 dollars doesn't sound like a lot to americans but in liberia she told us that if he stretched that and he pinched that that is a year a year worth of living for Moses. Just let that sink in. Actually, that remember, that was the first donation. That was the first time when we sent her 350 then we sent another 125 over to Moses. Yeah, so you're so good, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Now, here are your names, and we thank you. Allie and Evan, we love you. Alexia, you know we love you. Vicky, Chris and Madeline, Shane Suarez, Paige, we love you. Laura, Scott, Emma, Matt, Janie, Ashley, Stacy. Thank you to all of you. God bless you. And we love you. So, so, so stinking much. And it means so much that you chose to partner with the Lord and with us on this one. The Lord has truly overwhelmed us in the amount of financial support that he has brought in. We thank you for being instruments, but ultimately we thank him for laying it on your heart to sow into this podcast. As Daniel said, none of it has gone into our pockets, but we have been using it to advance the podcast for advertising and for all the other things Daniel mentioned. And we are believing the Lord that 
and the year 2024 we'll be able to do a lot more fun things like get a studio where we can leave our equipment set up where there's no wear and tear on it and we can maybe move into some video and YouTube stuff there's there's all kinds of dreams we have and expectations for what the Lord will do in the realm of finances for our little show here but we're so thankful for all of you who stepped in this first year to get this ball rolling Guys, if you want to get to know more about me or Core, the heart behind the show, why we do what we do, you can find out at a little place called LITDPod.com. That's LITDPod.com. There's an echo in this room. It's coming back. It's coming back. Here it is. LITDPod.com. If you want to reach out to us and have us partner with you in prayer, or share a praise report, possibly the fact that you got saved. Oh, that would be awesome. Or, uh, hey. Maybe you had a encounter with something crazy or something awesome with the Lord. We want to hear about it. You can reach us at litdpod at gmail.com. That's litdpod at gmail.com. Comes the echo, litdpod at gmail.com. We love you guys. God bless you again. Thank you so much for a wonderful year. We are expecting for huge things. Until next time, take care, y'all. So besides your son, mm-hmm. what was your favorite Christmas gift? Did you even get to opening them? Actually, I didn't open a real present. I still haven't yet. They're um, just sitting there? Like, I mean, I, I unwrapped them, but I haven't got to play with any of my toys. <laughs> I'll just say that. I got an electronic targeting system where I can work on my shooting from the couch. I load in a laser bullet into the gun. I have one of those now. I have I a laser bullet in the other room now. I just got to figure out the whole targeting system uh, aspect we'll of it. Do there's, it together. There's It'd be apps great. and stuff like yeah. that, right? I'm, I'm assuming you just buy one of their targets and you pop, 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 pop. Okay. I don't so, know. Sounds like we had two different systems, but... I just got a bullet. That's all I got. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. We'll, we'll work on it. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> Where there's a will, there's a way. I learned that on the 25th. <laughs> but yeah. Um, and then a giant knife called a gator buoy oh, uh, that Pop oh. found at like the Smoky Mountain Knife mm. Shop. It is literally as long as my arm and as thick. That's not a knife. That's exactly what he this said. I took it out of the box. He said, that's a knife. <laughs> I was like, yes, sir. What are these? Little throwing knives in case you get bored <laughs> underneath that one. <laughs> oh, he had too much fun in that knife shop. <laughs> oh, I believe it. What about you? Gift number one. Oh, gosh. I got some amazing gifts this year. Um, the one I I've probably used the most as thus far as I got a lovely soda stream. You know, <gasps> you and I drink a lot of bubbly water. That we do. And uh, for cost efficiency, I have upgraded <laughs> to making my own. Uh, less aluminum and plastic consumption. Just pour it right into the bottle, bubble it up, and then throw in whatever flavors I want. I've never been more hydrated, let me tell you. I'm afraid to even say it. Because we joked about it. It's in your bio on the website. You love getting new hobbies. I just hope this one sticks around because I think I'm going to enjoy it too. <laughs> I made some cucumber bubbly water last oh, night. And then oh. I got to snack as I was drinking it because little hunks of cucumber would float up. And I just oh. get to crunch on them. It was nice. It was nice. Sounds really good. And yeah, I, I got a new gun safe. That's nice. Oh, we're going to go. Walk down the hall and look at that after yeah. uh, <laughs> stop recording. It's not here yet. It's not here yet. It's, I haven't even.
It's not here yet. I haven't even brought it over yet, but uh, I'm excited about it. I notice a gift you've been fidgeting with while we've been <laughs> recording. That's new. A tech deck. Oh. I don't really understand what tech decks are. It's a little mini skateboard. I opened it and, um, well, said, what the heck is this? And uh, Kimberly, our graphic designer, and my sister-in-law said, if you don't like it, I'll take it back. <laughs> Jeez. No, I, I missed 2003. It's good to see it again. If you don't like it, you can give it back. Uh, that's because I was a little salty about it. Well, not salty. I was just a little demonstrative about not knowing what it was. Anyway. That's cool. I mean, they have little scooters, too, if you're one of the scooter guys. I can't say as I'm one of the scooter guys. <sighs> I was a scooter guy. We thought we were cooler than Your we were. ankles just got demolished, didn't they? Every time I tried to do that roundhouse kickflip thing, never actually nailed it. Just every time it came around, right into the ankle bone. Mm. Ouchie-wobba. Yep. That might have been my first swear. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. 